Marcast is made possible by Hayes Marketing and Digital, the recruiting experts in marketing and digital roles across Australia for a wide range of industries and job functions. Welcome to Marcast, the Marketing Mag podcast series. I'm Ben Ice, editor at Marketing Mag, and today I'm proud to introduce an episode that's a little different. This year, We've been having conversations with some of the sharpest minds in Australian marketing. Today, though, Dave chats with Trent Innes, Managing Director of Zero in Australia and Asia. We thought it would be worthwhile to hear the point of view of a business leader. How do they see the marketing function fitting into their broader business, operations, structure and culture? What do they want to see more of from marketing and how can we as marketers better communicate marketing's value? For all this and more, over to our host, Dave Jackson. If you know someone who runs a small business, there's a very good chance you know a Xero customer. Since its foundation just over 10 years ago, Xero now supports more than 1.5 million subscribers globally. It has quickly grown to be the market leader in New Zealand, Australia and the UK and is expanding in the US, Asia and beyond. For many customers, Xero is not so much simply accounting software as it is a way of running their business. Forbes identified Xero as the world's most innovative growth company in both 2014 and 2015. It now employs more than 2,600 people worldwide and connects with over 16,000 accounting and bookkeeping firms. It's no overstatement to say Xero has revolutionised small business accounting and we can learn so much from its success, which is why I'm pumped to welcome today's guest, Managing Director of Zero in Australia and Asia, Trent Innes. Trent, g'day. It's fantastic to be here, DJ. Very excited to uh, spend some time talking to you today. Now, Aussies and Kiwis love to argue over who owns certain success <laughs> stories. I think we've agreed that split ends is Kiwi, mm-hmm. but crowded house is Aussie. But what about Zero? Born in Wellington, listed on the ASX. Is it, is it ours or theirs? Or so definitely very much our roots for, are from New Zealand. So I started in New Zealand by uh, Rod Drury back in two thousand and six, uh, and sort of quickly expanded over here in uh, in two thousand and nine. So very much ASX listed, but our but our hearts are still very much based in uh, based in New Zealand. So while we're on topic, maybe you could clear up a few other arguments. Pavlova. Kiwi or Aussie? So I'm led to believe it is New Zealand. Lamingtons? I'm going to go with Australia for Lamingtons. Wheatbix? Which I honestly don't know, but I'm, I'm going to, I, I think we'll claim those. I quite like Wheatbix, so we'll claim them. I think we claim anything we like, don't we? And what about Flat Whites? Flat Whites are very much New Zealand. All right. So there you have it, folks. The Aussies <laughs> can claim Lamingtons and Wheatbix. But we've got to give the Kiwis flat whites, Pavlova, and the Kiwis created the world's most innovative accounting software. What about Russell Crowe? Where does he fit? No, they can have him. <laughs> so, Trent, until now, we've, we've exclusively interviewed CMOs. And so to change things up a little, we thought it would be really interesting to get perspectives on marketing from a managing director. Yeah, great. Um, perhaps you could start by describing the org structure at zero and where marketing fits into that picture. I should start uh, by saying that I'm not a marketer. So I'm yeah. actually, I'm an accountant by trade. So I actually started my career as accounting. I did do a little bit of marketing, of course, at university. I think we all did in, 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 in every business degree. But look, marketing's played a really Im- important role. And I think as we, you know, we'll, we'll um, 
we'll pick through that a little bit as we, as we go through the, the podcast. But, yeah. you know, I think marketing means lots of different things to lots of different people and how you actually use marketing um, can, be, can be very interesting, especially in a high growth company like Zero, we have been through massively fast growth. And I, you know, I was reflecting on this as we were coming into the podcast. Uh, I've been at Zero six years. And you know, I think when I started in Australia, we had you know, about 30, 35,000 subscribers. We've now got well over you know, 650,000 subscribers yep. in, in, in Australia. And I remember stressing out way back then over spending $5,000 on a Twitter campaign. So you know, I was very hands-on at that point in time. And I think you are when you're in, in, in startup mode. And uh, we're now, you know, very lucky that we've grown, you know, grown quite substantially, and we have have I've got a you know dedicated marketing lead, uh, and I've also got a dedicated comms lead as well. So I structure, I actually split comms and uh, comms and marketing out, and I, we can talk through that a little bit later on. And then now we also have a really strong, you know, centralised marketing function as well that actually look after all our systems and processes. as We look to, uh, you know, streamline our processes around the globe. Can you remember back in that day? Uh, that's fascinating. That twi- Twitter. F- what sort of marketing budget might you have had back then? In oh, that? it was small. It was uh, look, it, it, when you're in startup mode, you don't you don't really follow budgets as hard in those days. You kind of just you know you you know we were very much a, a growth high you know, high growth company, and we were funded for growth at that point in time. So you could spend the money, but you were kind of spending the money like it was your own money, and so yeah. you would stress out over spending five thousand dollars. And I actually remember what the campaign was all around. It was about doing promotional ads through Twitter, which not many people were doing back in 2014. That happens all the time now. And it was actually a really successful campaign for us, and it really led us to uh, doing a lot more through Twitter at that point in time. And you're still doing a lot with Twitter? As uh, we still definitely do a on. bit with them. We use all the social channels, really. Um, you know, we've been very big on social from, from, from day one, and you know, we empower our people to be actively engaged on social. Plus, we also do promotional campaigns through, through social channels as well. We'll talk specifically about media a bit later, but do you, do, do you think that it was a good time to to launch and grow a business with the evolution of, and the emergence of social media? Do you think just sort of objectively you could have grown as fast and successfully if if you weren't sort of aligned with that? Uh, look, I think, I think I mean, that's one of the factors. I mean, there's lots of other factors. I mean, it was a timing in technology. So, yeah. you know, we were, we were riding off the back of the cloud, which is a, you know, a different wave of technology coming through. Um, there was also a massive gap in the small business market around um, accounting and digital connectivity at that, at that point in time. And that really helped solve solve that problem because up until then, you know, small businesses have been largely ignored. So we, we had a, you know, a great product and we, we could talk a little bit about that as well if you, if you want to. But yeah. Um, but the market, the marketing role that we played then as well, and, and leveraging social was very much uh, a strategic decision from day one. Our original founder Rod was always very um, available on social, so he's you know he made himself available. Um, you know he would uh, he he would play out there a little bit with competitors sometimes as well, and have have a, have a bit of fun. But he was he was always available, and it was um, and very much built a lot of our customer advocacy off the back of social networks. Yeah, and so the fact that he was prepared to. To have a voice, and perhaps again, you know, startup firm, maybe a little less structured, a little less corporate, and so it was a nice fit for that kind of media. You well, it's also voice and personality. Yeah, absolutely. But also, you know, um, a dollar that you can get, th- a dollar of marketing you can get through social channels and through uh, and through PR is a dollar you don't spend through traditional marketing channels as well. As you say, if you've got something interesting to say and that the market's interesting, and you and you're a, you, you you had a product for a market that had been underserviced and the. It was a good story. Yeah, but you can also create your own news. I'm a bit of a big believer in that. We've made pretty big investments in, in communications and, and PR and content and, uh, you know, also use a storyteller as well 
to actually help us, you know, weave these stories together. And uh, you'll see through a lot of our marketing that we actively um, we actively engage our customers in that as well. So we're very, you know, very customer centric, and, and everybody says that. But if you actually look at our advertising, you'll actually see that we actually use our our customers because if they can gain something off it as well, that actually, you know, that that makes sense to do that. But but very much we've leveraged those channels as much as we can throughout the journey. We'll come back and talk about sure. what some of those campaigns might be. Okay. You mentioned the way you've structured marketing is you have a head of marketing and a, a separate marketing communications team. Is that so? Not so much marketing comms, but just head of comms, PR, and stakeholder engagement. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I'm actively engaged in PR and comms, uh, and very much spend a lot of our time building those relationships and leveraging those. So it's strategically really important about the way we go to market. So I think the way we've always looked at it is we're not we're not selling a product one at a time. We're actually you know very much in the market of moving a market. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so no, very much. We're yeah. very much trying to move move the market, and the best way to do that is actually look at it from a, a macro level, uh, and that's where PR and comms play a really important role in that. I mean, it keeps you very close to your customers. Um, it actually makes sure you've got something interesting to say as yep. well. You know, and a lot of that times you know really spent you know creating content that is uh, that can be used to really not just build the brand, but also represent our customers in market. I'm a, I'm a massive believer in customer advocacy as well. I mean, that's the best way to gain customers, having existing customers say, say nice things about you, but you have to be extremely genuinely, genuine and authentic about that. There's no, you can't, you can't hype that. You've got to be willing to take the good and the bad if you're going to put yourself out there. But, you know, we're very fortunate that I think we consistently have done the right thing. So our, we do have really strong advocacy in the market. You mentioned a central marketing function. So you're talking about something different than an in-market marketing function. So how does that work? What are the sort of the split of responsibilities and who's doing what? There's some black and white and some grey in that always. I think whenever you've got a central and a regional hub, and I look, I look after both Australia and, and, and Asia. But centrally, there's a couple of different functions. So we've got a thing called the hub. So the hub is our internal design agency. So we do, you know, we've got film crew, we've got writers, we've got our own design agency. We do a lot of that work in-house and build a lot of our own brand assets off the back of that and run a lot of our own campaigns. So, you know, the advertising you see out there around zero is pretty much all in-house built. So I've got a lot of, you know, quite a big, quite a big team. I think there's, you know, well over 30 people in the hub. Most of them are actually based here in Australia, but they actually service zero around the globe. Yep. Uh, we also, of course, have got all our systems and tools and technologies. So we've got quite a comprehensive technology stack behind the back of this as well, uh, and that's managed centrally, and we're obviously a customer of that. Uh, and in addition, we've also got a number of centralised resources where it makes sense to do, you know, centralised campaigns. So things like around product marketing. So yeah. if we're releasing, you know, very generic features that or functions that would suit the entire world, you know, the entire globe, we would do that as a centralised function. And a large proportion of the product is a SaaS technology yeah, product. So a large amount of that functionality is global. So perhaps the way you talk and maybe some of I'm imagining some of the tax calculations and integrations might be market specific, but a right. lot of the products global. Yeah. Absolutely. A great thing about accounting is a debit is a debit and a credit is a credit wherever you are around the world. So there's more the same than there is different, but there is obviously that last piece of localization that you need to do in each, in each market as well, which would be slightly different, but you're interesting. Like you look at Australia, New Zealand, the UK, most of their, uh, most of it's very similar. Uh, because you know, we fall pretty much under the same you know, sort of tax legislation. You know, some of the other markets are, are, are quite different, but once again, you know, basics of accounting remain exactly the same in each market. And so you've got the hub, that's, yep. that's one of your resources, and then you've got this PR and, and commerce function, commerce function, which you're very involved with personally. Yeah, we also have some centralised comms as well. So things like investor relations and things like that. So obviously we're listed in Australia, but we have, you know, we, we have 
you know, um, centralised teams looking after that as well. And then are these teams collaborative with each other? Are they are they largely sort of siloed functions? What's- no, no, massively collaborative. So we are, you know, our whole business is built off um, collaboration. In fact, that's actually the basis of what our product was built off. So the fundamentals of, of Zero and thinks we're, we're accounting software and, and we are. But if you actually get to the basis of what it is, it's actually a collaboration platform to collaborate you know, um, small businesses to accounts and bookkeepers and to, and to digitally connect them to all the services they need to be successful. And pretty much our business runs like that as well. So, you know, even from the technology suite we use internally, everything is about collaboration. So, you know, we work as a fed, fundamentally one one big team. Uh, we work on joint accountability and always always have run that way and very um, very values-based as well. So the organisation is very purpose and values-led, which is, which is scaled as we've grown, you know, quite dramatically over the last 10 years. Yeah, the growth story seems an interesting angle with that because it put, clearly it puts pressure on some of those original values. Yeah, as you get a larger and larger organisation, it it presumably gets harder to retain some of those core values. Yeah, I get asked the question a lot about how do you manage a high growth company, and my my normal response is you need to go and manage a no growth company for a while and then come back and talk to me. Yeah. I'd much rather manage fast growth than no growth. Uh, but the thing is, when you're managing a fast growth company, you things will, things will break and. Uh, you know, if you're growing at 30 or 40% year over year, then your people have to be growing at 30 or 40% year over year as well. And if they're not, and if they're not in an environment where they're allowed to experiment, they're allowed to fail, you know, and if they're not trying new things, then you risk becoming irrelevant quite, quite quickly. But the things that I have learned that have scaled over time is purpose. So saying really true to your purpose, making sure you've got, you know, really clear values so be a value-led organisation. If you have to rely on on rules, then you're, you're in big trouble. And then, of course, none of that none of that matters at all if you don't actually exhibit the right behaviour. So values and purpose are just words on a on a on paper if you don't actually um, exhibit the behaviours that relate to those. And it's really important that everyone inside the organisation does that. It's actually not that hard if you get the fundamentals right. It's little things break along the way. Of course, yeah. everyone's people are people and and they're variations. But if you're really strong and really definite and deliberate about what you stand for and then you're deliberate about making sure you act in ways that are consistent with those things you stand for well the, the business shows it's it's grown very successfully and continues to yeah it, it, look, i think people um people sometimes risk overcomplicating things at the end of the day one thing i've learned as i've uh, become a bit more senior in my career is that uh, most of the great stuff is actually horrendously simple and we spend a lot of our time trying to complicate it but it's actually most things are really simple you know, and uh, generally, if something's going wrong inside your organisation, it generally comes down to strategy, people, or execution. It's one. It's one of those three things. And uh, I've I've seen organisations with amazingly great strategy, but don't have the people to actually execute against it. I've seen uh, people with great people, but no strategy. So it's just a balance between those three, and you're continually uh, continually evolving them. So speaking of strategy, what you know, we could talk for days about about obviously the business strategy and the link to marketing strategy. But in in uh, in, in simple terms, how would you describe to our listeners what what is the sort of the business strategy for zero, and how does that inform the the marketing strategy for zero? What what specifically are you doing? So the business strategy is very much around you know, the digitization of of small business and making their uh, making their lives as easy as we possibly can. So how 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 do we allow them to be more successful? And so it's very much the purpose that we've had for, from day one. And so the strategy is all around how, how do we help that happen? In terms of the marketing strategy off the back of that, you know, we still still view ourselves, even though we are, you wouldn't call us a startup anymore, mm. we still have a startup mentality around it. So we're always trying new things. 
Uh, we're trying new campaigns all the time. You know, we're continually, continually experimenting. Um, our people are very much empowered to do that as, as, as well. I mean, there are certain campaigns that we will run, you know, consistently each year, whether that be around product launches or certain times of the year, because people still like to buy accounting software at the end of financial year. So there's always certain things in the calendar that come up, but the overall strategy is one we, we used to kind of refer to as the zigzag approach, because um, we don't really want to be traditional by any means. So we're always trying and, uh, trying and adopting new things. And I noticed, speaking of strategy, I noticed also, I think this is right, that you've recently just changed your catch line, your marketing catch phrase from something around beautiful accounting software to beautiful business. Is that? Yeah, we've gone from beautiful accounting software to, to, to beautiful business. So accounting in some ways was definitely the, the market that we were playing in from day one, but it's much broader than that. So you know, once our... Once our customers and subscribers are on our platform, they can do many more things than just than just accounting. So the, the accounting probably limited us at, at a high level. So it was just about getting a bit crisper and about what we're really about. And it's all about driving you know, beautiful business for small business. I'm interested if you, you've been with the business a while, was it always part of the plan, do you think, to be more than an accounting business? Was that baked into the vision of the founders of the business on day one, or has that sort of evolved and emerged as you've looked at ways of adding more value to customers over time? You've realised through evolution that you need to be more than just an accounting package. No, it was absolutely from day one. Yeah, so right. the founder absolutely knew, or the founders knew, knew where they were taking this, and it was really about you know, allowing people to come on a, on, on a platform where the economies of scale made sense for them as well. So the barriers to entry for technology for small business before were quite, uh, were quite high. They struggled to compete with big business, whereas now a small business has better access to technology now than big business does in the, in the sense they can roll it out faster. You just look at the um, proliferation of apps out there for small business now. It's just, you know, mind-blowing what's available to them and they can do it for a fraction of a cost and uh, I still, you know, the favourite part of my job is going out to visit businesses and I get to visit a lot of our customers. And when I visit them, you know, I get blown away by some of the things that they're, that they're working on and the fact they can have a global presence now and it might just be, you know, effectively a, a two-person show, but with through technology, they can, you, you've really got almost no idea how big they are in the background and they can have a, you know, a true global market. So technology's definitely changed the game. So there's a a lot of other things on the platform. So things, you know, outside of accounting, we now do payroll. We're doing projects on there as well now. We're partnering with a couple of lenders in the financial services space as well to try and uh, unlock capital for small business as well. So there's a number of other things that are coming through on the platform. Again, obviously you can't tell us the detail, but in terms of the evolution of that vision, the execution of that vision, how far along that journey are you in, to- in terms of the breadth of functionality that you can currently do within the platform? Do you feel that you know we're halfway there or have we just scratched the surface or is it is it close to fully realised? I actually don't think we know what the end looks like. There isn't an end um, as, far as, as far as we can tell. Uh, so the last time we looked, there's only uh, we're in single digit percentage t- uh, use of cloud accounting globally for small business. So there's a massive upside and, you know, the trends we're seeing play out around the world at the moment is that government is more and more digitizing um, essential services to business. And so it's going very much from an environment where it was a, a nice to have. You made that very explicit decision that you wanted to, to go digital, whereas the government, uh, through a lot of their changes they're making, not just in Australia, but we're seeing this play out in New Zealand, the UK, and we'll see it in, in other places around the world as well. It's moving very much to a, to a have-to-have scenario. So you're going to have to be on a digital system of record. And once that, once you're on that, then there's the opportunity to completely expand over the top of that and do more and more things. So I don't, to answer your original question, I don't think we can anywhere near see the end of uh, what that looks like at this stage. And then I said there's something else that struck me about 
that catchphrase, um, beautiful accounting software or beautiful business, and that's the word beautiful. It's kind of, well, from an outsider at least, an unusual um, adjective to put into an accounting software phrase, and, and yet it was obviously very deliberate, right? I, I, superficially, I might have imagined, you know, there wasn't too many small businesses out there. If you had have asked them, what is the attribute you're looking for from your accounting software? Not too many of them would have said, oh, I need it to be more beautiful. And yet that concept of beautiful is obviously pretty powerful you and been, for you and been pretty successful. So it's actually one of our five core values. So beautiful, human, challenge, champion, and ownership are our five, our five values. And uh, beautiful is probably the one that I – I relate to the most. And the way I think about that is um, I think about it as the 1%. So 99% of what you do for your customers, almost in any industry is invisible to my mind. It's an expectation. How do you actually stand out? And I think, you know, to me, beautiful is actually the way, the way we actually stand out. And that goes right back to day one from when the product was getting designed is that we actually had a, we took a design lens to accounting. So accounting historically was really hard for small business. And so as a result, they would put it off and off and off. So they wouldn't invoice, they wouldn't get paid, and they came out of cash flow pressure, or they just didn't enjoy doing it. So we tried very much from day one to make accounting fun and to almost gamify it. Pretty much all of my friends and mates now use zero their own small businesses. And uh, you look over their shoulder and you see them swiping left to right as they're doing bank reconciliations and they're checking you know, every day and uh, seeing where their data's up to, but they're actually, they're almost treating it like a game now. But it's obviously not a game because, you know, yeah. being on top of your finances is super important. Yeah. But they just weren't able to do that previously. And then, so it was very much, when we think about beautiful in that context, it was about the user experience. How do you make the user experience beautiful? But it's even more than that. I mean, beautiful is something we think about, you know, throughout the business. So, you know, we're, we're beautiful in, intera- in interaction with a, with, with a customer. You know, so for an example, our, our customer support people are actually empowered. If they're talking to a, you know, someone in support who's not – they figure they may not be having a good day or what something's gone against them, you know, they're actually empowered to send them something to, to make their day better, you know, or whether we're sending out a legal document. Can you make a legal document beautiful? You can. You can actually do it because most legal documents are bland and boring and apologies to my legal team. But yeah. how, how, do you, how do you actually make it beautiful? And so it's, all the, it's, it's way more than just building software. It's about the way we interact with people. And if I understand beautiful correctly, it's also not just about visually beautiful. You're talking about in a legal document about thinking about the the way it's structured and making right. it accessible and sim- this simplicity, this this yeah, user interface. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. About, it's, it's way way more than just building software. It's about yeah, you're right. You know, it's about simplicity, but it's about doing things the right way as well. So doing it. So you know, if you we talked about customer advocacy later, but if you you can't you can't manufacture customer advocacy. It's about moments of truth. So the moments of truth build up advocacy over time, and it takes a long, long time to build up moments of truth by definition, but you can eradicate it really, really quickly as well um, the, yeah. the other way. So I think it's you know moments of truth to me are all those sort of beautiful interactions we have each and every day with our customers. Another element to marketing is an eye on the competition. Clearly, you don't ignore your competition, but it feels like you're largely running your own race as an organization and you're not spending too much time looking in the rear vision mirror and a a lot more time looking at forward at your customers and their needs and letting the rest take care of itself. Is that? So, look, definitely keep it, you know, definitely keep an eye on them and be foolish not to. And, um, you know, we have a bit of friendly banter from time to time as well. And, uh, you know, it's it's always in, in good spirit, but very much run our own race. You know, we see ourselves as a clear market leader here in terms of, yeah, we were very differentiated from day one. 
you know, there was a lot of competitors or, or incumbents, but they came from a different generation of technology and a different mindset around how they were thinking about taking their their product to market. I mean, who, who could have thought accounting software could be this much fun? Mm. We've had a lot of fun in the way that we've marketed, but it's much more than accounting software. It's about really celebrating, you know, small business as a as an overall industry. And that celebrating loops back to what you're talking about gamification before and making it a bit of a game. It's the gamification is. I'm, I'm interested in swiping that app to see because it's another deal I've made or it's a bit, bit more revenue that's come in and it's exciting. It, it, sure, it's numbers but and it's serious, but it doesn't have to be dry or without its- No, it doesn't have to be dry. And, look, and, they, and they, you know, small businesses don't go, in, unless they're running an accounting practice, don't go into business to do, <laughs> to do accounting. So how do you actually take something that has historically been really hard for them? And just to give you an idea of the numbers, our, our studies show that historically small businesses spend about 11 hours a week on compliance. So if you can reduce that you know, reduce that significantly for them. They can actually get back to doing what they love. They might just be spending time, you know, with their family or doing whatever their interest might be outside of work. Or might actually be spending more time on customers in their business. But it is the burden has been quite high for them historically. That's an interesting metric. Is that a metric that, as an organisation, you're sort of aware of? And is that you know your own measurement of your value that you're adding to customers, measuring if you can reduce that? So number? we are we are very digital and very so we we do we measure a lot of things, and so we are, we're very aware of what's happening in our customer base. And as we've got to scale, we're we are very fortunate now that yeah we've got some we've got access to a, you know a large amount of of, of data. And, you know, always make sure we're using that for good, of course. But, you know, one of the things we launched, uh, oh, just probably two years ago now, it was called uh, Zero Small Business Insights, which was looking at uh, anonymized, aggregated data across our entire customer set to actually see what was really happening in the small business economy. Because up until then, most of it was very much guesswork. So this gives amazing insights into what's happening. So, you know, how many businesses on our platform are cash flow positive? How long is it taking them to get paid? You know, how's employment growth going? Are they growing in full-time, part-time, casual? You know, are they are they Buy, are they exporting more or importing more? And so we can start to see some of those things at, at a macro level now and start telling great stories or insights into what's happening um, in, in the small business economy, which just wasn't available previously because it was all, all that data was very fragmented or it was survey based. You know, we spoke to 100 small businesses and they told us this. You know, we're looking at data on, you know, over 600,000 of them, which is a completely different sample size. Yeah, actual quant data, not just qualitative interviews and the, uh, perc- uh, and the perceptions of a small audience, but the, 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 the real data of what these businesses are doing. Yeah, correct, correct. So then, you know, so then we can actually help small business at a macro level do things for them, which that, you know, are, are much more important. So how do we, uh, how do we start using that, some of that data to help shape the way government and big business makes investments back in them, for an example? So, you know, what could legislation look like that was actually not only based on data, but could actually then be measured afterwards as well. So pretty much we could measure it as soon as the legislation passes through. For, as an example, it might be something related to a budget or whatever it might be, but we can actually start to see some um, some really uh, amazing results off the back of that. Yeah, wow. It sounds incredibly powerful. Eh? These are things that you're, you're doing now? Doing you, now, yeah. Yeah, and what's what's the response of, of government, for example, to, to those to these oh, kinds they, of uh, things? They, they, they're actually really engaged. So we, we, work, we work really closely with them. Always, as, you know, just preface by saying, always at anonymised, aggregated level. Yeah, so, no, yeah, yeah. so we're just looking for large-scale, macro-level trends yeah. um, to, you know, to see what's actually happening out there in the, in the small business economy and working out how, how we can better, better help them grow. Because we know it's one of the only segments of the economy in Australia that's truly growing from an employment perspective. You know, big business is net-net uh, and, and obviously small business is, is, is growing. So if we can get out of their way and help them grow faster, we can create a lot more jobs. 
the mind just boggles on the power of this data. As you say, you've got an exact number as these businesses are employing new people and adding them to their yeah. their accounting technology, their payroll technology. You've got this in real time at in real at time. a macro level. Yeah, at, about, exactly at a macro level. And things like, you know, we look at it by, you know, by industry, by postcode, by region and yeah. things like that as well. So we can get quite granular as well uh, in the sense of being able to really, you know, really help certain communities as well. So let's talk about some of those campaigns um, and some of the things that you're doing. I, um, as you do, I was um, lying on the couch at the weekend, scrolling through my LinkedIn feed. This is going to sound like I made this up. But Sounds like you're stalking. Quite seriously. It, my feed is full of the same old bland, blah, blah, blah. You know, every now and then a good article, mostly shots of conferences and the pe- back of people's heads standing at a screen for some event that's been on. And then a few, you know, of those, you know, glib sort of pat slogans that get shared around on, on LinkedIn and, you know, pulling the heartstring stories. And there was a lot of that. But there was three posts that really stood out for me. And it, this really sounds like I'm making it up, but all three were zero posts. One was, one was yours and another two were by the company. And all three of them, they, they related to three really interesting things that you're doing. And so I thought maybe we could explore these. The, the first one was this idea of uh, or something you were calling bricks and clicks. Yep. So maybe can you tell us about what bricks and clicks is and, and, and how that manifests? Yeah, absolutely. So bricks and clicks was in, a, was, uh, in, in conjunction with Pinstripe Media. So it was something that we, you know, we were invited to do and thought it was a great thing to do. We were actually doing quite specific uh, coaching sessions to a group of small businesses, but it can also be used more broadly, uh, more broadly than that longer term in online classroom training. But the idea behind it was very much around identifying some small businesses out there that were, you know, very much brick-based businesses and how do they actually go go online and what's involved in doing that and how, how do they expand their business and what does that journey look like? Because I think there's a lot of small businesses out there that are contemplating doing that but are not quite sure how to. And so that's really what the basis of this was. So they brought in a number of experts over a number of weeks that actually took them through that process. And I was fortunate enough to actually uh, to present to them a couple of weeks ago, then actually aired, it only aired yesterday, uh, in relation to how do you manage a scaling company. So I was really using the experience that I gained off the back of the last you know six years or so at, at zero and you know, what are the things that actually scale. But it was really, it was really, uh, you know, amazing sessions. And spending time with small businesses in that sort of environment is always, always exciting. But you know, I think it's uh, you know, a very commonplace scenario where you've got a lot of these businesses that know they have to do something, they know they've got to go digital, but they're just not sure where to start. And that's you know, it's partly marketing, it's compliance based, it's you know, getting your goods and service ready to actually be able to if you, if you're selling a physical product, how do you how do, how do you actually you know ship that around? So all of those things they were they were thinking about. How, how you might do that, um, and that's really what um, you know, bricks and clicks is all about. And it sounds, I mean, you mentioned a couple of times about the marketing strategy at Zero, which is to put your customers in part as the content of the communication and include that. And that sounds very consistent here. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think one or two of them actually weren't Zero customers. Yeah, okay. Uh, at the stage of these, these are actually they were, they were found from a variety of different sources. But you know, we do absolutely try and put our customers front and center. Make sure you know any goods and services that we buy for any events we're doing, we always use our customers as well. Yeah. So you know, we're very fortunate to have some amazing customers out there. So you know, more than likely, if you go to a coffee shop, you're a, or a cafe, you're likely to likely to be a Zero customer. Yeah. I think I'm quite annoying because I always look at what technology they're using across the counter. <laughs> the guy just wants to serve you a coffee. And you He's just trying to serve me a coffee and I'm asking questions about their technology and uh, and, and going, de- going down that path. But, uh, you know, we're very, we're very fortunate to, to, to have that. But, you know, um, we always try and make them front and centre wherever we can. If they can get some some publicity, some PR and some content off it as well, 
um, then we, we make that available. And we, we do that through a number of different means. The other post that I saw was this paper to Pixels photo yeah. exhibition. I'm, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you like that. I mean, that was a... I mean, that's one of those classic examples of us trying something a little bit different. So we used an you know, amazing um, Instagram photographer to actually go out and photograph small businesses in their actual environment. And then we've actually done you know, an art gallery exhibition based off the photos of small business. Um, and there's always a human element to it. I mean, one of the things we always think of, you, you, when you think about business, especially in small business, there's always a person behind there. Yeah. You know, there's always someone that has gone in there because of their passion or gone in there through necessity sometimes. They go in for a variety of reasons, but generally it's for passion. It's, you know, I think it's one of the great Australian dreams is to, to be your own boss, is to own your own home and be your own boss. They're kind of the two great Australian dreams, I think. And um, the passion behind that, we're really just trying to capture that moment in, in, in photography and do something a little, a little bit different. It seems a, a stretch in a way. We've got a photography exhibition, but we're trying to sell, um, we're trying to sell a, accounting software licenses. So you're taking a fairly strategic, we're we're taking a fairly strategic long-term approach here, right? This is, this is not a campaign that we're, we're saying, well, this is, we need to, we need to see this, this amount of inbound response for, for us to continue to support this kind of thing. We're taking a much more broad approach. And that's an interesting thing, isn't it? I mean, I think if you're looking at a digital funnel as an example, you can look at a digital funnel and you can work out ROI pretty easy. You know, we pumped this much money at the top, we generated this many leads, here's our conversion rate, and here's how many customers come out the bottom, give mm. or take. We yeah. won't go through all the steps of the funnel, yeah. but yeah. I think everyone yeah. on this call, everyone on this podcast probably yeah. understands digital funnels. The flip side of that is, you know, when you are looking at building brand or representing your, your, your customer, sometimes it's not that easy to actually calculate an ROI, especially when you're in startup mode and you're in a challenger mode, you try different things yeah. all the time because you're trying to build brand presence. You're trying to get people to, you know, talk talk about you when you're not in, your room, not in the room in a positive way. And you've got to be really careful, I think, just looking at an ROI. I think it's, it's border. It's one of those sort of moments of truth that I talked about a little bit earlier. You know, it's, will this build brand for us? Maybe, maybe not, but it seemed like a good thing to do. And so the gut feel was that, yes, we should we should do this. Um, and, you know, the response has actually been really positive. It's actually been a really positive response off the back of it. And the, and the, uh, and the exhibition's been really well received. They're pretty out there kinds of initiatives. Do you just have creative people within the organisation or are you, have you got the culture where, well, clearly you have the culture that invites people to put these kinds of ideas forward, but are you, how hard do you have to work to deliberately try and do things different? So first of all, you have to empower your people. They have to be empowered to do it. And uh, I think if you have to rely on the innovation department or the marketing department, you're in big, you're in big trouble because great ideas come from everywhere within an organisation. And you know, quite often the marketing team might actually be a bit disconnected from the customers anyhow on a day-to-day basis. Yep. The people that are speaking to them are their account managers every day and our customer support people. So they feed lots of things into us as well. But you want to be a little bit um, unpredictable and a little bit, um, a little bit, a little bit cheeky as well with that sort of scale-up growth mindset. You know, I'm a bit of a believer that if you're not innovating, you actually risk getting disrupted. When I look at those two words, innovation is a, a player word and disruption's a victim word, yep. so I'd much rather be a player. So we've got we've got a whole lot of listeners that are that are marketers responsible for ideas and innovation within their organisation, and they're probably thinking, "Gee, this is the kind of boss I want." He says, "I'm not too interested. I'm not totally focused on what comes out of the funnel. I'm looking for innovation, and I'm willing oh, to I'd, get." I do like to see what's coming out of the funnel as well. Right, yeah, it's, a different, so it's, a, it's, it's not it's not the same. Thing. How do you balance that? Yeah, like do, is, it, is that just instinct and and leadership? That's what it is. Sometimes you sometimes you go for something that's a bit crazy and a bit different, and then you need to balance that with some some more 
classic pipeline fillings. Well, you're, 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 you're always balancing, aren't you? And I, I spoke earlier about moving a market. And I think having that mentality of moving a market is actually really important. It's not you know selling one customer at a time. And our business in some ways is not necessarily a traditional software selling business. It's actually got more, you know, it actually lines itself up more compared to a fast moving consumer goods company sometimes, I think, when I think about it in the sense that we're selling you know quite a high volume product to lots and lots of people. Um, and how do you do that? So we've got, you know, we distribute through channels and we've got a variety of ways that we go, we go to market, but a lot of that's building brand for that entire, for that entire network. So things such as, you know, the art exhibition, that's very much about, about building brands, small business insights, whilst it's actually, you're telling stories about small business that nobody else can tell. Uh, it's also building brand at the same time as, as well. And, you know, you have an opportunity off the back of that to actually almost create your own news. Mm. Can you think of a campaign that someone's pitched you on your team and come to you and it was just too wacky, it was too far out there, and even you with your willingness to try any, almost anything said, I, we just we can't do I that. actually can't think of one off the top of my head. Um, look, as long as it aligns to our purpose and our, and, and our values, then it would be something we'd be probably more than likely willing, willing to try. So no, not I can't actually think of one off the top of my head that I've actually ever said no, but the ideas come from lots of different places. So... You know, and some of them might be really interesting topics and some not so interesting. So take one as, um, and whilst it's super important, you know, uh, single-touch payroll is coming down the line at the moment, which basically is a new reporting regime that every business in Australia needs to comply with. And so that basically means if you're not on a digital payroll system, you're going to have to be on one if you employ people in the next, by the 1st of July this year. And that's something you know, we need to really educate the market about. And, uh, you know, we want to be the, we want to make sure that when you think of single-touch payroll, the first place you think about is, is zero, but it's actually talking about single touch payroll is actually not the most sexy topic in the world. It's actually how do you make that fun? Yeah, and so you got to almost elevate it up a level. And I think internally we we sort of change it from single touch payroll to simple touch payroll. Yep. How do we actually make it really simple? How do we actually make it part of a broader context of your user experience? And so it kind of you don't have to actually really think about it. We'll just take care of that for you. And it's all around that messaging, and that's one end of the spectrum. And then you've got an art gallery at the other end which is completely, you know, much more, you know, innovative, much more, you know, thought leading, a bit more provocative as well. So I think there's different times require different approaches. You could, you literally couldn't think of an idea that had been put forward. And I think the crucial piece of what you said was that as long as it's consistent with our, with our values and our purpose and what we're doing as an organisation. And then that loops back to what you've talked about by putting those things front and centre of your conversations with your people internally. Everyone's so clear of what that purpose and those values are that you don't end up with this disconnect of people putting ideas through that are simply inconsistent with that because everyone gets it so well. Yeah, it's ingrained in the organisation. Absolutely. It's absolutely ingrained in them. And there's always the, um, you know, even beyond that, there's also common sense, isn't there? There's, there's the fundamental truths about what you believe as a business. I mean, we've been, you know, we drive really hard on diversity and inclusion example. So if something went against that, then of course we, we, we wouldn't, we, we, we wouldn't do that because it's got to be a fair representation of, of what we want our brand to stand up for in, in, the, in the marketplace. So, I'm uh, I'm someone in your marketing department. I've got an idea. What are you looking for when I when I pitch it? Are you are you going to respond instinctively? Are you just looking for something that's interesting, or you're asking me to do some some work and think about how we can execute this? I probably look for something that really excites me. So, so I'm looking for something a little bit creative and different because I think a lot of marketing looks exactly the same these days. We market and sell an accounting service, yep. fundamentally, and so 
the accounting industry as a whole has not been regarded as one that is overly exciting. It, it's actually, it couldn't be further from the truth. The, when you actually speak to accountants and bookkeepers out there, there are actually heaps of fun and it's actually a really fun industry, but it's not, it's never, it's never really had mm. that around it. It's kind of always been a thought of a, you almost have to apologize for being an accountant. And I can say that being, being an accountant myself, but I'm always looking for something that's a little bit creative and a little, a little bit edgy. And it's actually just going to, it, it's going to take us somewhere where it's a, even make us feel slightly uncomfortable. I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of okay with that. You know, I come up with lots of ideas myself as well. And uh, you know, sometimes our marketing people go, "That's a great idea." And sometimes I can see the look in their eye going straight away, going, "That's not a great idea," and that's okay as well. But we have an environment where, you know, it's okay to challenge each other, and it's okay to provide feedback, both positive and negative. Uh, and it's always better to have more ideas than what you execute. So if you've got less ideas, that's when you're in big big trouble. Two thoughts I'd like to close out on this sort of section before we move on. What one is, I can imagine we've got some listeners who who have a real desire to be more innovative in their marketing communications, yep. their communications, and 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 they're hearing what you're saying about about the cultural piece, but they can't. Th- that's that's a ten year plus journey for you that's created that. If 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 I don't have that as an organisation, are there just are there any sort of processes? or operating structures or organizational structures? Is there anything I could do within my organization in the short term that would help us be a little bit more innovative, a little more creative, get a a larger number of interesting ideas into our marketing mix? Because I can't just turn around my organization overnight on the the cultural piece. So I'm going to have to do something, some manifestation of this, something sort of a little less culture and a little more explicit to to generate these ideas. Are there any structures that strike you or processes or habits or practices that Zero have that would be helpful? Well, I think first of all, yeah, so I completely completely understand your point on that, but I still think you have to empower your people to be able to be creative. And so creative doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't mean picking up a box of crayons and drawing something beautiful. It's actually about being creative and and being a little bit brave. And so you've got to actually, so that comes back to empowerment. And the most reason, the reason most people won't feel empowered to do something is the fear of failure. And so if you've got a fear of failure, you, you won't take that jump. And so you've got, to, you've got to provide an environment where people are actually allowed, allowed to do that and they're allowed to, to fail. And, and I think sometimes locking people down with really strong KPIs and really strong ROI can actually be detrimental to, you, to your business in, in, in innovation. And so what I'd, what I'd suggest is that you, know, you, can, you can control that just through a bit of, through a bit of empowerment. Yeah, nice. It feels like there's two benefits to this disruptive marketing communication strategy that you have. One is that the the campaign actually works. That that's obviously what you hope yeah. in terms of building the brand or and, in terms of and, and, generating and, opportunity. And also, how do you measure if it's worked or not? Yeah, and that's the other thing as well. I mean, as I think, you know, the measures are always interesting, aren't they? But how, how do you, how do you measure if a campaign was successful? Because especially some of those less brand, th- those brand related. I mean, ones. brand is a brand comes back to that moment of truth, isn't it? You're building long term, and as you said, long term. You know, the, the measure is going to be, you know, what's the strength of the brand f- three years down the track from now? Does the is the business connected with its community? Yeah, and, 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 these and, are not going to return. And that's been a journey that I've definitely not. been on in the sense that you know when I first started six years ago, people thought we we're a photocopy sales company. <laughs> Yeah. Literally, we couldn't even attract. Attracting staff was hard. I mean, I saw the I saw the vision and was lucky enough to you know to to, to jump in and see that. But you know, we've built you know amazing brand off the back of that. And I think I think we've done that in 
in some traditional senses, we have done you know, some above the line campaign. You'll see us sponsoring trams and things like that from time to time. But it's always that mix between that online digital, you know, the above the line and the PR and comms. It's not one or the other. It's actually yeah. how do you actually get all of those assets to play together? Yeah. And then the other side that strikes me about that is even if it doesn't work for whatever reason, you're a disruptive business trying to disrupt an industry. And so you have to walk the walk walk the talk by doing disruptive campaigns. If if nothing else, then they work to your core sort of value proposition, which is where a business that tries things and are looking at doing new things. So Yeah, and I think that's the same in any business regard of whatever you're doing. If you're not if you're not disrupting, somebody will disrupt you. So you have to be continually even disrupting yourself. And I think that's just a mindset thing. And that's why I think I always talk about you know, innovate or be disrupted. And that comes back to having a growth mindset. And, and the definition of growth can mean lots of different things. But you know, whenever I'm looking to you know, hire people, I'm always hiring. The first thing I look for on any person I hire is attitude because attitude scales, whereas you know, skills, knowledge, and uh, experience doesn't always scale. I'm assuming you don't directly recruit a whole lot of marketers, maybe at a senior level, but largely your teams are responsible for bringing new people into the organisation. As an organisation, do you have a set of – well, first, are you recruiting a lot of marketers with marketing backgrounds or are you recruiting a lot of people into marketing roles via sales? You yourself have come from, an, as you said, an accounting background. It certainly doesn't sound like – at the top levels of the organisation, you have a view that to be working in a in a marketing role means four years of marketing study, but presumably there's some role for those kinds of backgrounds within the organisation. I think everyone's a marketer to a certain degree, aren't they? Especially, so I think everyone is in, in, in a certain way, shape or form. So the answer is probably all of those things. I think, you know, we'll have people that are very, you know, some more traditional marketers as well. But I think the thing that actually is probably the similarity between all of them is making sure that we hire people with the right with the right attitude. And I touched on that before, and I think yeah. that's you know that's something that scales right across right across the organisation. Uh, but we will definitely you know yeah, we've got people lots of you know have come out of more corporate backgrounds. We've got people that have come out of startup environments. You know we run a really strong graduate program. So we actually bring marketers through our graduate program as well now, which is um, pretty cool. It's always super satisfying to give someone their first job. It's one of the most exciting things I think we've done over the last couple of years. So we bring people through that program. But we always do encourage people as well that if they have a genuine interest outside of their core area of expertise to think about going to another part of the business, we, we do that now on, on a pretty regular sort of basis. We actually encourage people to move, to move across and try new things. All right, I have six questions that I need answered right. in 60 seconds. Wow, only 60 seconds. So the time starts now. A favourite brand and why? So I mentioned it earlier, Rafa is one of my favourite brands. And a brand in trouble and can it be saved? So I don't know if they're facing challenges yet, but I think Facebook's at an interesting time in their journey at the moment and they've got a fair bit of work to do, I think, on on their purpose and trust has there been a, a significant influence, a mentor or a guru or someone in media, someone that we follow, someone that's really shaped your your views on business and marketing? Probably not external people, just people I've actually had in my in my close network. So I've been very lucky to work for some amazing some amazing leaders, uh, and they've really helped shape who I am today. What's the biggest thing in marketing today? The biggest thing in marketing right now, I think I, I don't think we've fully nailed personalization. So personalization at at scale without it without it feeling creepy is something I think is a great great opportunity. Gillette's recent the best men can be campaign is that a good ad campaign or a bad ad campaign? 
So I actually liked it. I, it actually resonated with me. I thought uh, I thought they were a bit daring, which I like. So I think reward for daring. Marketing in just a few words. Marketing in just a, in just a few words. I think plays a massively important role, but we've overcomplicated it. Thanks again to Trent Innes for giving up his time to appear on Marcast. Next episode's coming soon. And you can check out marketingmag.com.au to keep up to date in the meantime. If you enjoyed the listen, don't forget to rate and subscribe. Thanks for listening. Marcast is made possible by Hayes Marketing and Digital, the recruiting experts in marketing and digital roles across Australia for a wide range of industries and job functions. For the latest insights on what it takes to be a marketing director, download the Hayes Report DNA of a marketing director at haze.com.au.